are you? Good. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. How did you celebrate? Um, how did I celebrate? Uh, can't remember. Um, oh, went for a swim with a new wetsuit on. Tell so me about your new exciting. wetsuit. Uh, it's um, it's made of rubber. Um, and uh, I'm so disappointed. I I I wasn't invited around to social socially distance, but to be able to watch you put it on. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's something that anybody needs to see. I would have, really. I would have been there with the popcorn in a heartbeat. It was it, putting it on was fine. Getting it off—that's a whole <laughs> other. That's a whole other operation. Uh, one of my family, I sent, I sent Elisa, my wife, sent a picture of me in my wetsuit to my entire family, um, which they all found hilarious, and they said, "Oh, you look very slim." And I was like, "Yeah, it's because I'm wearing a huge rubber girdle, basically." <laughs> So I, I felt like somebody from a Jane Austen novel, you know. That's what I thought when I saw the photo. I thought he looks like someone from a Jane Austen novel. He does. He does. That's how I imagine. <laughs> about him to anyway. go for a swim. <laughs> so, so you're a surfer now? Uh, no, but um, I did. Uh, I did enjoy getting in the water in the morning of my birthday. It was beautiful. It was so lovely. I mean, I I like getting in the water, cold water anyway. So it a was great. And I felt like wearing a wearing a wetsuit would be sort of cheating, and I would. I was kind of letting the side down somehow. I don't know what side, but just somehow. Um, I was just, I was going to ask you exactly that. Like, did it feel like you were going to be having protected swimming? Yes, it did. I, I felt like there was something of the sensory experience was, was missing, the sensual experience. But I have to say, any of the parts of me that were exposed, which is my forearms and my feet and my head, were completely freezing. <laughs> They were having so, a good time. So there was that, you know. Um, so I did think, oh, yeah, that's uh, this is how this works. So anyway, it was awesome. I had a lovely birthday. Well, this this could know. be the beginning of the end of the Blarney Pilgrims as, as Dom gets into surfing. And we, <laughs> we just paddle off into the sunset. That's a that's a long way off. I don't think I'm going to be doing the surf thing. I, it's fine. You know, I, I don't mind not surfing in the same way as I don't mind ever not skiing again so what about yourself how have you been good it's been so quick um, i know i don't know what's uh what's happened to be honest just uh still playing the old fiddle and uh mm-hmm. been playing a fair dose of banjo as well i'm i'm excited about today's uh today's guest today's guest being fiddle player ewan baker uh i say fiddle player he's a teacher he's an arranger um, and you know what? He's a he's a mandolin player. That was a, oh, he's a great mandolin player. On my list, and I never never asked him about it. So if you're a mandolin fan, set your hopes to low because we don't bring it up. <laughs> no, but we do cover a lot of other really really great stuff that goes right to the heart of why we're doing this project in the first place. So it's it's a really beautiful chat and some great playing and just great cracks. So. You know, a good chat about the bushwhackers too. I, I mean, I'm enjoying how over this long process I'm I'm getting an understanding of a a time and a mindset within Australia that's that was chucking along and has since passed. But it's it's a very interesting window into what was going on and and how that one band and that scene affected so many people that we've ended up talking to. But we'll yeah. get into that in yeah. the interview. And it's funny because they haven't come up for about fifteen episodes, and suddenly there they were again. <laughs> Well, you so, know what they say, that, like buses, the old bushwhackers. Aye. I don't have anywhere to go with that. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, you and Baker, today's guest. 
Uh, before we get into the interview, um, just like to say a thank you from our sponsor for this week again from Kill FM. So if you're new to the podcast this week and you haven't heard last week and you're thinking what what is Kill FM? So Kill FM is a online radio service which um, basically gives you access to any traditional Irish tune and song that's that's out there. But what's really the, the, the I know the real kind of cool thing about the site is that it lets you search not just by the artist or by the song or by the album but you can search and have stuff served up to you depending on which instrument you're interested in that day or a selection of instruments you're looking for or just stick on it you want energetic or you want relaxed or I don't know you can search by multiple different ways and make your own playlist and it's a really powerful tool and something which is just so called out for because I before this i was using spotify and yeah that algorithm is not designed for the irish music fan where uh kill fm is is absolutely brilliant for just locking in on what you want when you yeah. want it um so yeah if you're uh, that way inclined which if you're listening to us you, you i'm sure you are head over to kill fm c-e-o-l dot fm and you can listen there for free or sign up for five euros a month and uh once you're signed up you can that's when you can create the playlists onto your like save playlist so you can go back in and just makes life a lot easier it'll all become uh, self-evident when you go yeah. over there so yeah head over there brilliant um i think that's everything so do you want to just get into it yes let's do that here we go enjoy how about a tune Ewan Baker, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. How's it going? Oh, good, thanks. Yeah, real pleasure to be here, lads. Oh, good. It's been a while coming. So, hey, um, what did we just hear? Uh, that's, uh, that's a tune called Merrily Kiss the Quaker's Wife. And that's a, um, it's on the list. Last night I just, I just kind of knocked together a list of tunes for this uh, podcast. And um, 
you know, it, it's it's really interesting how they all have a they all have some sort of a story behind them. So that one was um, that was a, a tune that we used to whistle to the magpies to come down and feed. <laughs> so when I was a little kid, I didn't even, I had no idea what it was, but Mum used to whistle that tune for the Maggies, and um, and it wasn't until you know I don't know. 20 years later that I played that tune and I went, oh, hang on, I know that tune, you know. Wow, that's yeah. wild. <laughs> I, I love that yeah. tune. That's a kind of, it is a tune that, um, I, I don't know, I learned that tune very early on when I was learning to play. I, and I, I think it is one of those tunes that people sort of pick up quite quite early, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Is, there, is there a reason for a tune like that being a, a learner's tune I mean it's not a learner's tune sorry I don't mean that but you know what I mean like a tune that is amenable to a learner well I think there's probably wiser heads than me that would have this covered but I'll probably just the um you know that that uh I think that that might even be a slide that tune but it's it is a slide I think yeah yeah um and it's that three that three feel but no sorry it's kind of a two feel but in um, you know, in a in a three thing, so it's compound time. So um, I think they're easy to get hold of. You know, you can you can quite easily um, imitate that f- as a young person, I suppose. Is there a way of putting what you what you were just mentioning about the slide and a two thing and a three thing in layman terms? Because I, <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping that was. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, you've got, um, there's a, like that one's maybe, if it's either two or four, but it's going one, two, but da ba da dum da 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 ba da one, two, one, two. Or you could say one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. So each one of the, um, the say, the four counts has got a little group of three notes. So one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. So, um yeah, so the 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 um the the main beats that you hear is the one, two, three, four. That's what the dancers are going to. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like about a walking tempo, I suppose, too. And then you've got to put three notes in for each one of those. And how you put those three notes is is you know whether you're a whether you've listened to a lot of the music or you haven't, I suppose. You know. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, I get the um, outskirts that, of that, it. Hey, I get the outskirts yeah. of it. I mean, like, and is that is that where the the slip and slip jig comes from? Like, what 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 is that? Uh, well, no, I don't I don't know. Except I know um, I know that there's a bunch of um, the dancers that have they have this sort of um, little groups of three. Um, so there's jigs, there's slip jigs, and there's slides, uh, and um, you know they're they. The, there's three notes. They're quavers, if you want to go into that. Um, and the first one's got the weight on it. And then the other two... Um, so can I use the fiddle to demonstrate? It's like a, you get this uh, one, two... So it'll be like, say... Uh, one, two, three. And there's a, that's breaking it into three. And if you're classical, you know, you might go. But the, yeah. the lilt sort of thing is like a. 
that sort of um, <clears throat> that sort of thing. And I think, you know, I think maybe to la- to start learning tunes, the the jigs are a good way to start. You know. Yeah. Well, if you if you uh, what's that song we're doing? Uh, oh, this one, uh, Nursery Rhyme. You know, that's that's probably a jig or a slide or yeah, of something. course. Thank you so much for that. That actually makes a lot of sense. Oh, good. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, when you were a little lad and you're singing to the, are you whistling to the magpies? Where did you grow up? Um, well, we moved around a fair bit, so uh, that that little one was. Um, we used to do that in Canberra, so I was up there for um, all of my primary school for, from about four, five till. Um, I was going to make a joke at five till seventeen. No, but um, so for for the about seven years we're up there, and um, uh, and we lived at, up near um, right at the our back of our fence, backed onto the bush. So we spent, you know, we had this amazing sort of childhood of freedom up in the up in the um, um, Mount Majura. Um, uh, park there and the Mount Ainsley and that that's where we just hung out and knew that area like the back of my hand and um, you know we'd go out in the morning and uh, you'd go <whistles> you'd do that a couple of times and down would come these Maggies and um, yeah so it was, a, it was a good childhood that one and the actual the, the Magpies come, come to a song like that did they? Well, you could have. I could have done anything. I could have. I could have. You probably could have whistled anything if you got mints um, <laughs> waiting for them at the other end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it was just that coincidentally that tune was, um, you know, that that tune. It was just that, uh, you know, it's that thing about. I think for me, um, with the with this music and this um, this traditional Irish music, there was, you know, it's just an example um, of not knowing about it, not being, obviously not being, um, you know, growing up in, in Australia and not having it, you know, um, everywhere you go or not having it strongly in the culture. You know, you sort of have these little snippets of stuff that came at you and you, and you kind of have to piece it all together later on. Yeah, and so then what was Mum's connection to it if she was the one that taught you how to whistle it? Well, that's interesting. Mum's, um, both my parents are... Uh, very musical mum was is a they're both still with us um and mum's a piano player and teach she was a teacher um and but she just had music in her you know like she's um could play a she played her first wedding i think when she was 10 um and did <laughs> a Marseille when she was 16 so she she was kind of like a and, but she grew up in Orbost, way out in um, sort of the frontiers, out in East Gippsland, and um, and sort of uh, um, well, and the Irish nuns were teaching out there. So you know, she was Catholic, and they they taught her and taught her Latin and all this music from around the place. And so she this very rich education way out in the sticks, and um, so she would have got. She would have picked up tune, you know, like she would have picked up a tune somewhere. And her dad, um, uh, he used to, apparently he could pick up a fiddle and 
knock out a tune, you know, really rough. But he and he was always whistling old um, Wally. Um, so yeah, she was surrounded by. Where, whereabouts was that you? And just for the benefit of anybody who's listening overseas who isn't familiar, and and also for me. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, it's it's east of Melbourne. It takes uh, Orbost is about four hours drive, four and a half hours drive east of Melbourne, and it's um it's sort of the last town before the the big national park, um out to pretty much out to the New South Wales border up around Eden and that. It's a place that's just all been burnt in the last you know in the fires over summer. Um and it's where the it's where the Snowy River, the famous Snowy River um enters the sea at um, out at Marlow, which is, you know, 10 k's out from Orbost out at the, in the ocean there. So it's a pretty, still a beautiful, it's a, it's a very quiet and beautiful place down there. Mm-hmm. And and your dad then was a, was a musician as well? Yeah, yeah, dad's, a, um, he's still playing, he plays guitar and um, <clears throat> he was, he's heavily into jazz guitar. Um <clears throat> And he was like a um, uh, real student of, um, you know, the discipline of music, I suppose. Uh, Mum was like sort of was like not wild with it, but could just play and play by ear and could hear something and, and kind of play it and would be bashing out chords, you know, and laughing uproariously if she made a mistake, you know, it's just not a problem. Um, dad would, would need, needed to, um, kind of intellectualize it a bit more and kind of know all the chords. So he'd, you know, he'd grab a jazz standard and, <laughs> you know, um, there's, I've got, we've got books that he made up when he was sort of in his teens, um, of all the jazz standards and he's typed them all out. Um, and then, you know, for each chord he's written in you know, three substitute chords that you could put in, you know, if, if you wanted to, you know, it's just, you look at it and you, you know, my head just spins. I just have no idea, you know, like it's, it's. Did they play together much or? Yeah, yeah, they do actually. They, they, um, and I've played with them, which has been a real highlight of my life, I suppose. It's, um, you know, they do, they do stuff together for, um, you know. Sounds like a great metaphor for a marriage. You know, well, you know, they met um, those two styles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Viva la difference. Um, well, dad, dad met mum. He, he um, they'll play music at teachers' college, and uh, mum was playing piano, and dad came up, you know, behind and put his foot up on the stool and looked over her shoulder and at the chords and played guitar, and that was sort of how they first met. When you're thinking about uh, uh, the standards that your dad would play, or or something that you remember your mom play playing, what what would those be? Um, well, the reason I ask just is that I, like my my father never played, but I always remember him listening to certain things. I always remember him listening to John McCormick, and that always yeah, sure, kind of gets me. <laughs> Yeah, uh, um, yeah, look, absolutely. Um, there's why I suppose why I pause is because there's there's a lot, you know, um, and it's sort of like whatever feeling I'm in, 
it'll dictate what what song what what particular song there's probably you know probably a a dozen songs that'll will trigger um we had dad's uh, 85th birthday last year and <clears throat> um you know i, I you know, we put together a, a like a, a spotify track a song list you know a playlist and um i just put a message out to the family saying you know come on any songs that remember growing up you know and we put together this thing um of all these songs that dad used to listen to uh you know and it was just such a powerful night you know all this music and there's tears and you know it was almost like a bloody funeral actually but um such a lovely idea it was uh, it was so easy too you know god you just you think oh yeah that one that so there's george benson there's um you know there's miles davis there's there's all these guitar players um you know kenny burrell and I mean, there's um, uh, uh, Pat Metheny, and then he got into um, you know, Earl Clute. There was, there was just a whole range of music that he loved, you know. He was really... Um, and Mum, for Mum would probably... There's a few things that Mum... Like those nocturnes, those... Um, uh, now I've got to get there. Chopin wrote all... Yeah, he, he wrote all these, these beautiful night or nocturnes and they're just stunningly beautiful and um yeah mum used to mum used to play a lot at home she taught she teaching all the time but um so when you said you got yeah, to play with them when was, when and how what like what what shape did that take <clears throat> uh well the last time we um i've played i i've i play upright bass as well um just for something ridiculous <laughs> anyway that's another story but um and so I, I i can play jazz of course with dad so um it's been one of the um <clears throat> one of the real highlights you know to be able to um play with dad because dad is a he's a seriously beautiful guitar player um and and it's just very nice to and as as you get on a bit, you realise more and more how how precious that those times are, um, mm. you know. And so, God, I wish there was more time and to do it. But um, so I've got reams of books here that because Dad loves to he organises the music incredibly well. So there's a new folder every time we've got a gig with the chord charts and the um, the order that we're going to play them and a couple of variations if you want and stuff. It's like it's amazing. Um, and, uh, and we like, they, they live at one of those, um, you know, at one of the old people sort of places. And, um, uh, when they first went there, we used to, we used to put on nights of music, you know, and, um, mum and dad and I would play and we'd, uh, dad get a mate in who'd played, um, vibes and, um, we'd do all sorts of stuff, you know, the old songs at the, you know, the old popular hits of the day back in the day yeah, and yeah. then i'd play a few jigs or reels or something and um and then you know it, yeah it was it was just great this is just hilarious really and mum would just off she'd go you know she'd just play whatever <laughs> have a go at it <laughs> yeah well you would it be okay to um to ask for another tune maybe one that reminds you of your of your mom and dad like maybe you have one on your list if you've gone through of I know that first one was from your mum, but maybe there's something else there. 
Well, there's... Yeah, um... Okay. That's been ages. Oh, that tune was the um, that was the one that you know if if an uncle or an aunt was around, you know, mum would go, oh, play that tune, play that one, you know that that one, <laughs> which is um, oh, now it's Brian Baru, it's called. It's, oh, Brian Baru's March. Yeah, it's an incredibly old tune, like and um. I haven't played it for a really long time, but um, it used to be on one of the Bushwhackers albums. So it was just something that I kind of learnt um, and then would get dragged out. Um, so that doesn't necessarily... Well, it reminds me of my parents, but from the um, kind of, you know, from the 15-year-old, 14-year-old awkward teenager having to come out and play it to Uncle Uncle Morris, you know? Just like, oh, God. <laughs> it's about as nerve-wracking as it gets, really, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's terrifying. So then with the Irish music, how did that start creeping in for you then? It started probably... Um, uh, I learned violin um, at... I started in grade three and uh, we just chipped away with uh, one of the nuns started teaching us at school. Um, and it was... Uh, I don't remember much of what we played at all. Um, but then I got another teacher and we started doing the AMEB classical stuff and scales and, and then we did do a fair bit of Suzuki stuff as well, which is, you know, the Suzuki things learning by ear. So, um, a lot of Mm -hmm. repetition and copying and stuff. So, so the reading skills, reading skills, um, uh, were getting okay. And then starting to do, um, the listening stuff with the Suzuki, which was great. And then, um, and then it was like in grade five, I had a, I had a, um, one of those teachers you get, you know, those, those, it was a ripper bloke. You you could call him by his first name. Um, and he, he, uh, he was a lad, you know, like a country lad. He's probably really young, you know, probably only 25 (laughs) or something when he was teaching us. And, but he just absolutely loved the bushwhackers, the old, um, original Bushwhackers and Bullockies band. So he had a cassette and the cassette player and after lunch every day we would we would be forced to listen and sing all these old Bushwhackers songs. And and not only that, but we would have to sort of stand up like a choir at times and act them out and all this sort of stuff. Um and um so I just I just started hearing that sound, you know, the the bush bass and the and the fiddles and concertinas and you know accordions and all that sort of stuff um and it just 
pricked up my ears because I was playing violin, I suppose. Um, then, then I saw a bush band, a live bush band at us, like an old, you know, one of those old homesteads where they reenact the olden days. And they had a, they had a bush band. There was a guy yeah. playing a fiddle and, you know, he looked like he was having fun. And, um, and then there was um, a, a New Year's Eve bush dance in Canberra that, so what kind of years are we talking about, Ewan? Is this kind of like mid-70s, late-70s? Yeah, in the, in the 70s, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, late seven, mid, mid to late 70s. Late 70s by that stage, yeah. And for, for anyone who's not familiar with bushwhacker, bushwhacker music, as yeah. you would call it, like, uh, what characterizes that style? Well, the, like the, the bushwhackers were um, kind of like the, the ballad singers, the old bush songs, you know, um, which of course, um, as it turns out, they were like old, um, old Irish melodies with the words changed. You know, quite often Irish, Scottish, English melodies mm-hmm. um, that the the lads and lassies would have, um, uh, you know, changed for the conditions in Australia. Um, <clears throat> and so this was the bushwhackers were, um, you know, just some guys that that got together at, I think they were at La Trobe Uni and they just got together and started doing this stuff and having bush dances, bush dance being um, Reed, Reed Cayley, but probably not as refined perhaps, you know, but um, still the same sentiment, a lot of fun, a lot of live music, a lot of dancing together, um, same as a Cayley really. Um, <clears throat> and then, yeah, uh, but... Have you ever thought? Have you ever thought about why they were so popular? Because I, I, th- I think knowing that I was going to be chatting with you, I've been thinking about the bushwhackers because you're not the first person by a long shot that's mentioned them. I, I, I think when I was speaking with you, I said I, I reckon the bushwhackers had more of an impact on 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 the Australian than the Australian player at the minute than probably. I don't know, yeah. Panksy. I, I, no, no, yeah. well, Whoa, careful there. Well, <laughs> I think um, um, I've been thinking about that too. And, and you know, like I, I felt a little bit like, um, um, like I knew that there were other people that liked it, but I didn't know anyone else that really liked it like I did, you know. Um, so th- there's probably all these like individuals out there in the community that were really into this music. Um, and then, you, but you had to go and see it to to be with other people. It's the same now, you know. It's that it's the folk scene. that's small, really, if you if you look at it. Um, but it seemed to be in that seventies time there was a it was a there was a hunger for something like that. Like I, I, before we started tonight, I've just had mentioned the Dom that I've been brushing up on some Barry <laughs> McKenzie. No, I know that's kind of like a, a body kind of comedy, and but still within that there's. There's still the same. There's a, like there's this this romanticizing of the larrikin, and there's like it's about banding together. I don't know. I get a real sense that that's why the bushwhackers were as popular as they were as well. Well, there was something going on, and I was pretty young, of course. Like I was, I was quite young. But in the seventies in Canberra, there was a bush dance called the uh, the Wool Shed every Saturday, every Saturday night um, in the late seventies. I don't know when it started. Someone else will have more info on it, but. There was a dance called the Woolshed. My older sisters used to go to it. And so every single Saturday night of the year, there would be a bush dance and it would be packed. And there was a bush dance. And when we moved to Melbourne in 81, 
we used to go, um, I used to insist that we'd go up to the um, Ivanhoe Town Hall, beautiful old Ivanhoe Town Hall, and um, go and see that the Cobbers would be playing a bush dance on, I think, it, oh, gee, I don't know whether it was every Saturday night, but it would have been fair, really regular. Um, and, you know, the numbers were okay, I think. There was always a lot of people dancing and, and, and stuff. So so there was a, it was really incredibly popular. Um, so didn't the didn't the bushwhackers have like a i'm sure i did they have like a an album that was around like teaching people how to dance as well and like it was in yeah, schools as well they did yeah they got when they're young they, they did they had a they had a, did a couple of those albums but they had one right. particularly yeah where they called all the dancers and you know just jigs and reels and um yeah absolutely so it was a it it they they um because it was australian um i think you know we we just you know buy australian sort of thing and but it was all irish stuff you know yeah. irish and scottish of course and the odd original thrown in but yeah so when did you was it around this time when you started to try and um pick out some some tunes yeah yeah well the the um um the, the the moment for me probably was the um, was the album that came out that the the Bushwhackers put out the album called Beneath the Southern Cross, which was um, I think it was the start of eighty one or eighty eighty one, I think I've got the album right there, but um, <clears throat> and and coupled with it was these there was a there was a movie called The Bush Christmas. Which was um, which had the bushwhackers playing in it, I think. This is all this is all childhood memories, but I think the album came out on Mattel or something, which was a kind of a a fairly commercial label, and I'm fairly sure I saw ads for it on on like the commercial TV, unless I'm completely hallucinating, but um. <laughs> Uh, and I did speak to once spoke to Dobe about that, saying, "Did I ever see that?" And he goes, "Yeah." And he sort of roared laughing because there was this, you know, how funny it was that a bush band, you know, like had a, but something I think something happened and it all went it all went pear shaped. But anyway, so I saw I had these, you know, probably three or four times where I saw, um, you know, Michael Harris, bless him, um, Louis McManus, bless him. Um, and you know there was Roger and and um, Dobe and that, oh, and there was the drummer from Skyhooks and all this. Anyway, there was this highly um, energized folk band playing on the telly with blue lights and you know crazy fiddle solos doing the um right uh, the um you know the the Shearer songs you know the Rybuck Shearer not the Rybuck Shearer the other one the Tiger the what are they called? The Lachlan Tigers, yeah. Um, but just this incredible fiddle playing. And um, I was going, yeah, that's that's fantastic. So from then on, from that point on, I went and bought the cassette um, and just just played it to death. Yeah. I bought the sheet music. They had they put out a, a book with the um, with the tunes in it. So. Um, I started to so from that point on I started to listen I started to really kind of go oh, okay 
and, and I couldn't do it. Like it was just beyond me, these reels, these flat out reels. And of course now, you know, you know, it's Louis McManus just slashing it to bits on the fiddle and mandolin and, um, or, you know, probably all the others trying to holding on to, to keep up with him, but <laughs> geez, geez, it was, um, it was really good. Um, and, and just on that point, I remember telling a kid at school, I was in probably year seven or eight. I said, Hey, there's this band playing free at the Meyer music bowl this Sunday afternoon. Um, you got to come and see them. And it was the Whackers. And that feeling I had of, um, this is where I want to be. This is, I, it was kind of like the sound of music. I've walking over the hill to this <laughs> and coming over the hill, they were starting to do this tune called the fishing reels, which, and, um, <clears throat> the sound was absolutely magnificent. And it was bass, drums, electric guitar, you know, like rocking out with mandolin and two fiddles, just screaming these reels. And I've just gone, whoa, this is, this is awesome, you know. And the guy I was with kind of got it too. He think he li- I think he he liked it a bit, you know. <laughs> I didn't care. <laughs> so were you were you going home then and, and trying to trying to replicate what you were hearing through the Suzuki yeah. method? Yeah. I, look, I, I was um, I was battling away with my classical um, lessons and trying to um, trying to get the notes off the page. You know. Um, Do you remember that what that was I'd, like? Do you remember, like, do you remember knowing that you were on it or off it? Uh, in what way? Like, well, if um, you, because well, I'm only I'm yeah. kind of going through what other people have told me. But if you're um, if you're reading stuff from a page, it, it's one yeah. thing. But if you're if you're trying to replicate something by ear, there's often oh it, yeah, it's a lot yeah. harder to do. So did you? Fo- yeah. But Suzuki's different, right? Because then Suzuki looks at as you said, it's about uh, replicating what you're hearing. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That's right. So did it come so, natural to you? Well, I, I mean, I think so because um, <clears throat> you know, no one really taught me that stuff. You know, so um, yeah, I, I, I think so. You know, um, but it it took a lot of <clears throat> it took a lot of listening. You know, like years of listening and kind of um, playing along with the records and. You know that sort of thing, um, yeah. and then to be able to do it by yourself is is a whole other thing, as we know. But you know, um, <clears throat> at the time, look, at the time, I don't even think I was. It was kind of like I wasn't even. I don't. I, well, I mean, I don't know, but I don't think I was really um, even um, critis- cr- critiquing myself. You know, I was just. I just wanted to play that stuff. You know, yeah. so. There was no one else that I knew who played it. Um, occasionally, you know, my sisters would jump on a piano and they'd say, oh, let's play something out of that Bushwhackers book and they'd play it and it just sounded god-awful, you know? It's always a very sobering moment when you've been playing along with the albums for, for months and then you have to play <laughs> on your own. And you're like, oh, Jesus. Like singing in the car, isn't it? You know, when you... <laughs> You think, oh, geez, I'm getting that. I'm doing that, Jimmy Barnes. I reckon I'm... And then, nah, just not. <laughs> After doing my research today, I think I know the instrument I'm going to get to play along with. I hadn't heard of a lagerphone before. Oh, until yeah. I, until I did some... Dom, do you know what a lagerphone is? No, but I like the sound of it. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, 
It's all in the making of it, isn't it? I think so. So essentially, it's a it's a rod, a stick with is it beer beer caps attached all all over? I'm yep. butchering probably what it is, and you shake it and you stomp it, and it makes a hell of a noise, and you just get in it. You feel the music, right? Now, now, so can I just I'll paint you a picture, right? Picture twenty thousand people on Ligon Street, um, in in Carlton, which is you know the the, the yeah, big popular touristy sort of restaurant street. The Ligon Street Festa. Um, so the street's closed off and everyone's in there, it's going off. The bushwhackers would come on and play um, in a little cul-de-sac, I think in Elgin Street or something, and the stage is set up there, you know. And um, <clears throat> uh, and I'd, I'd, I, I don't, in fact, I don't know, my parents, they might listen to this, but you know, I was probably 13 or 14 and I was there by myself <laughs> down in Ligon Street listening just because I just had to go and see them, you know. And Dobe Newton was this guy and he'd have like leather pants on, a red top. He had this slick back kind of, you know, grease back hair, big mo, And he was playing the Lagerphone. And it was like a dervish. The way he used to move around the stage was was um was amazing you know it there was not one element of dagginess to that bush band at all you know and um and his lagerphone was this kind of thing that had like um it was almost like some sort of you know lord of the rings shield you know that was, <laughs> <laughs> you know if you were a balrog you'd be you know you'd be struggling against this lagerphone and he had this um kind of like an axe handle with notches cut out of it and he'd bash it and you know and he'd be j- jumping around and doing all this stuff. Um, and you didn't talk to him. He broke his wrist once by hitting... He hit his wrist once in a gig and busted. He broke his wrist, shattered it, you know. <laughs> he was wild. It was the, but still, uh, the but still finished just, the gig. <laughs> he still finished. Of course he did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Another red and off you go, you know. <laughs> oh, no. They were, they, were a, they were just an electric band, you know. Right. Do you uh, would you have would you have one of their uh, tunes in the canon? Oh yeah, I do. I'm just going to do. Uh, I'll just do a little one here because this this is yeah, a funny little story. It's um, it's the first song off that album I spoke about, which is really significant. Uh, and it's called Saint Anne's Real. But that's uh, how it goes. Thank you. 
like that. Nice one. <clears throat> so <laughs> that's Saint Anne's Reel, which is um, which is kind of not. It's a real different version of it. Um, and I remember, you know, when I finally got to a session at, um, you know, in the pubs in Clifton Hill, like the the Normandy and um, some of those old sessions there. I remember saying to someone, oh, let's play the, let's play the St. Anne's Reel. And I hit that first B and <laughs> no one else... Everyone else was in a different key and playing something completely different to me. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I, I obviously stopped and kind of went back into my shell. That's not been the last time. But, um, and there was one, one particular night I, I, I met up with uh, Michael Harris, who was an outstanding fiddle player and violin player. And, you know, um, he, he just passed away actually not that long ago, old Michael. And, I wasn't friends with him, um, other than other than you know, from admiring fr- him from a distance with his music and stuff. But I talked to him one night and I said, "Mate, um, what's going on with the An- Saint Anne's Reel?" You know, because I knew he played on it, and um, he's told me that um, the harmonica player Jan Wozitski, <laughs> you know, they needed a tune for this for the album. We need a tune. Oh, geez, you know, what are we going to do? And Jan played that tune apparently this is what michael said yarn sent him down a cassette of him recording it he was living up in darwin here's a tune and he played it on his harmonica um in the wrong key and like sort of he'd play one of every four notes sort of thing you know <laughs> just this really sort of stripped back kind of skeleton of what he thought of saint anne's real and so michael got yeah. yeah yeah michael got that and went oh well yeah that's a that's a tune that'll do and um, and you can hear it's a tune, but it's sort of a really, it's a wild version. I mean, that's that's a really interesting thing, like because that that goes to the to the heart of like, because Darren, I don't know if you're familiar with that tune, but um, I've never heard it like that. It's there's normally a lot more notes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, and it's um, but but um, the fact that you show up to a session and you play that version of it, I mean, that's kind of how versions happen, right? Melodic, very uh, melodic, yeah, but, but you know, like who was it that described it? Um, Simon, what's his name? Oh, I've got his book there, great fiddle player from Scotland. Oh, yeah, anyway, he, um, I was talking to him about um, tunes and you know, um, writing tunes because there's you know, some people say, Why would you write a tune? You know, like there's thousands of tunes, and you know. Um, why do you write tunes? So I asked him, I said, you know, this guy writes tunes all the time. I'll get his name, hopefully. Um, but he he spoke about, I said, oh, so why do you write tunes? And he goes, oh, because I want to, you know, and I have to, and I, I'm going to. I said, oh, great, you know, it's cool. And he said, and it's like a, it's like the, um, the classic uh, version of a, um, oh, you know, like a, of, the, the process, I've lost the word here, lads, you're going to have to help me out. Like the, um, you know, in the voting, it's the, de- oh, it's the de- democratic process. It's the classic democratic process. Yeah, know? okay, yeah, yeah. So you bring a tune in and you play it and, mm-hmm. you know, the, you, you, all you got to do is play it and there'll be, you know, some might play it along with it and there'll be just this, democ- there'll just be this sort of thing. No one's going to force anyone to play it. It just sort of happens, and it's a beautiful idea that, um, 
you know that that um little tiny little tiny changes along the way you hear someone doing something you go oh, i like that and you kind of copy that and then someone hears you doing it but you're not doing it right or or you're doing it different to what you heard and it's and it just keeps going on like that it's, that reminds me of something we spoke about uh, on the phone and so this is probably jumping a whole distance but it's right on the money for what we're speaking about so you you teach in a, in a classical school presently right so that's what you do for a living yeah yeah and you were mentioning about how like you learn the classics but in the end of the day they were they were fiddle players they were violin players so they were who knows what the interpretation is now really like so there's this strict interpretation of what we presume is the notes are, and that's exactly how they should be played and i, I think i'm sure it was you you had said but like these guys were were players there could have been all sorts of variants or oh yeah infections I, think and... right. I, I had a i had a um a um a teacher early days a guy called philip carrington and he was a um um a brilliant violin player you know classical violinist and um <clears throat> and he he sort of uh i remember he um was happy for me to bring in my bushwhackers book and he was happy to kind of you know he said to me um you know learn the learn the melody of the songs you know like learn the melodies and play the melodies and so he was he was cool you know he was really cool and i went and saw him play his you know concerto or whatever one night and he was a cool you know i was quite young and but this guy came out on stage you know for his solo with the orchestra and He's got a tie on and had the um he had the um the Rolling Stones you know that that mouth on it yeah. he had the Aye. Rolling Stones on a tie and it was just I was going oh, he's so cool this guy you know <laughs> but um he I met his wife um only a few years ago at a at a Kaylee for a thing I was doing and um you know uh, I don't know how we got talking but anyway it turned out that this this was Philip Carrington's wife, and his daughter was there, and she plays violin. And the wife, and his wife is also a really fine classical violin player. And she was going, "Oh, how do you do that bowing like that? What's going on with that bowing you're doing? God, you know, I'm looking at it, going, oh. And um, and you know, I was just sort of saying, look, you know, it's I don't know, but it is a little bit counterintuitive to what what you learn in the classical domain. You know, you kind of group things in groups of two or um you know groups of four and you you know the beats is whatever there's i mean i'm being very generalist but in the irish stuff a lot of it kind of um slurs across um heavy beats and um you know there's there's a there's a lot of slurring that's a little bit counterintuitive and you know hence you can pick a, a classical player playing a reel pretty pretty straight up because um you know, they, they they sort of can't quite get that concept. Um, and that might, that has a lot of names, that concept, you know, it's from a lot of listening and, um, you know, they call, I think, they, do they call it the nyar or something, you know, to, to be able to play the tune in the right sort of style. But um, anyway, um, this woman started talking about the bark, you know, like the bark um, cello suites and all these... Um, Aye. All this music that Bach wrote, you know, and that the the um, the bowing is 
the, the Boeing used to be wild in those things, you know, and they, they used to make them, like each individual person would have their own Boeing kind of uh, um, uh, way of doing it. And, and of course the bows were different so that you could let, you could um, release all the tension on the strings on the bow and you could make it all tighter or looser depending on what your thumb, you know, like what your thumb did. A completely oh, right. different bow back in the day. Yeah, more like a an archer's bow, you know. Mm-hmm. This is when Bach was writing. So a violin could play four strings at once, you know. So these these pieces, this is what this woman was telling me that, you know, so the pieces where they've got these beautiful chords that I think they, um, I don't play this stuff, I can't play it, but, they, you know, you've got to go... You know, where you can only go two strings at once. But back in the, you know, you'd be able to play all four strings at once and kind of get this whole thing like a, probably like an organ or something. That's incredible to think about. I'd love to hear that. It is worth thinking about that, you know, like my my issue, which which lasted for years, um, was I was so preoccupied with trying to... um, do what was written on the page um, and, you know, and going to a lesson every week and being kind of, you know, put under the microscope and I was sort of always uncomfortable and, you know, never, you know, just never really, um, it was always, yeah, it was always being criticised and, you know, you could you could always do it better or whatever. Um, and it just took away the, the music, I think, and the... Um, and also the idea that there was a person at the other end of it who'd written it, mm. and and that person somewhere along the line had had played a piece of music and you know played it in a particular way and wrote it down and wrote it down as well as they could. But um, you know, I still, I still, yeah, I like to. Uh, and you know, the good classical players, they've got it. You know, they're. They're interpreting all of that, I think, from that basis rather than from um, some school of, you know, you've got to, you've got to do, oh, that's that, uh, you know, Tchaikovsky, you must play it this particular way and, um, you know, oh, you'd never slur those notes in a Tchaikovsky piece or whatever. Well, you know, maybe you might, you know. But um, I just think it's, yeah, I've, I've found that an interesting kind of... I, I, I like that music. I like... I like um, I like listening to good violin playing. So, what happened in the, in the course of you know you're you're listening to the Bushwhackers as a young fella and you're getting totally into this and then you're still pursuing this classical music. How does that how does that sort of work itself through into your twenties and you know what are you working at and how's you know? <laughs> what you do is you you play bass in a rock band, <laughs> right? Of course, <laughs> you know, like I because. You know, we we as a family, our, our um, like, um, <clears throat> I was listening to my, you know, stuff on my little cassette player in my room, and I'd be listening to the Whackers and the, um, but I was also listening to the radio and hearing all that stuff. Um, and then I got two older brothers and two older sisters who uh, had a lot of music in them, and there was. You know the seventies, um, or late sixties and seventies and eighties, of course. And there was just, um, and then you know, of course, Dad with all his jazz and Mum playing all the classical. 
you know, I um, it was just a, a barrage actually of different styles, um, you know. So I clearly remember, you know, the Sultans of Swing. Um, the first time that came on the radio, um, and then it's it's just a you know one sister was into Steel Eye Span and um, you know then the the boys got into all the all the Aussie rock stuff you know Cold Chisel and the Angels and I got myself into the Oils pretty big time and so I was I was kind of my head was, I had so much music going around in my head um, so I wasn't. Um, and there was nowhere that you could go and listen, you know, that I, when I was a teenager, that I could go and really listen to Irish music. I didn't, other than the recordings of the Whackers and when they were playing, you know. So I didn't know about sessions yet. So how did you learn? About sessions? Um, well, yeah. I, uh, that was, you know, I suppose when, you know, you start going to pubs. So I was 18 and well, 15, no. Um, <coughs> um <laughs> Yeah, just just at that time when we started going to pubs, probably in you know, like yeah, probably eighty four, eighty five. Um, the Dan O'Connell Hotel, which is, um, which was heaving, because um, there was a heap of Irish, uh, heap of Irish. Um, it's very similar to now. A heap of Irish workers coming out for two years or. You know, on those working visas, um, there's a big need for nurses. So there was um, a lot of nurses in the St. V's and all these places. And so I suppose where there's a lot of nurses, there'd be a lot of tradies and, you know, a lot of a lot of blokes. So the um, the Dan O'Connell and Molly Blooms, those pubs were um, were just going off in those days. Like, and were you, were you studying at this point or were you working or...? Yeah, I... I um, I started well. I went and worked at St. V's for a year after I finished school. And, What's uh, that? St. Vincent's Hospital. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, St. Vincent's Hospital, which is. Um, and I, I did a year. I took a year off um, study in that, and uh, um, I got into a music course. I um, <clears throat> I did my VCE or you know year twelve. Um, I did music for that. Did violin and and. Um, you know, it was it was a real it was a real struggle because I was at an all boys Catholic school and no one like you know I didn't want to be seen with the violin. Um, I wasn't playing, you know, I was trying to play footy a bit, but um, anyway, you you um, so it wasn't it wasn't really I didn't feel um, like I could really do it much, um, but I I battled away. Um, Someone said, "Don't give up, you know. Just keep going." So I just kept going. Got did year twelve, did fairly, very averagely because I'm I'm a you know I'm not a concert violinist at all. You know I'm really struggle. I can't practice very much. I can't do three or four hours practice that you got to do. Um, so I sort of battled through year twelve and then, um, had that. I I wonder whether you fellas would know that feeling when you I had to do this audition for um this music course and they used to take 35 people out of like hundreds would go and apply for it and I thought I haven't got any chance no chance at all but I thought I'll I'll go and do it um, 
and went in there and um, started this. Uh, and I'd been doing this piece for a year, this Tchaikovsky thing, this melody, I think it was called. And um, I went in and um, my mum was accompanying me. And she was like, going, oh, God, you know, she's like, you, you don't take it seriously. And, you know, look at your hair and God, you know, and I, was like, <laughs> I, said, oh, I was going, oh, whatever, you know, bloody hell. And we went, in, went into this thing and there were these two people sitting in a seat and they're terrifying, you know, and I was just going, oh, shit. And um, I just remember looking out the window and started this piece and, um, you know, there was a moment where I went, geez, actually, I might be on here. You know, because it just, it just sort of all, it all kind of started coming. And I didn't care. And I, I you know, it was the classic, I just don't care about this. And um, played it as best as I'd ever play that piece. Um, and um, I got into that course playing Tchaikovsky. And four years later, I left playing um, double bass. But like it, my final year recital, I did... Um, I did double bass, electric bass, and fiddle, and I did Irish tunes for the fiddle. And so somewhere, somewhere along the line, Tchaikovsky got really dumped. And, uh, and four years, four years later, after doing four years of music school, I uh, ended up playing a bunch of jigs and reels, and um, you know maybe a jazz piece and something else, some funk thing or something on electric bass. It was hilarious. It was great. It was well worth it. Um. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, do you do you remember do you remember um, any of the Irish tunes you played? Do you, want, do you fancy giving us another? Oh, or or something last... else on your list? Oh yeah. Um, what did I do? Oh, I probably you know it's probably something really. Um, it's really. I'll, I'll play this one. Uh... stuff so you I, I wanted to ask you about the um the little snickery project which is oh yeah should be yeah. coming near fruition can you tell me a bit about what it is and everything involved sure yeah um uh, liz liz is uh it's, it's patty fitzgerald you know um and it's um patty fitzgerald's um uh, a statesman of the irish music scene in Melbourne and uh, um, <clears throat> just a 
um, the real deal, you know. And so he's uh, we uh, Jeff MacArthur, who you know, and Jack Brennan, who you know, um, and Patty, of course. Uh, yeah, we're we're all teachers at the Lake School um, of Celtic Music. And, um, you know, we've played this, we play all the Kayleys and all that sort of stuff down there and sessions and that. And then someone's idea, we, we went and played, a, we did a gig at Port Ferry a couple of years ago. Um, um, and then it just sort of, it, it, I don't know, I, don't, I actually don't know how it, how it formed, <laughs> but it just kind of became um, where, um, you know, we just we just sort of brought what you do at the session just onto stage, I suppose, and um, and you know, I suppose to honour um, Patty, and um, and we can we can get to play tunes with him, and um, you know, sort of bask in the glory of of the real deal. You know, it's, yeah. it's awesome. So you've been um, you've been playing with Patty since the the Dan O'Connell. Oh look, no, oh jeez. You know, I would have um, no, I, 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 I probably have, but um, not, you know, um, just with sessions and stuff. But you know, guys, I, I was so I was twenty rows back. I was kind of just looking, and um, you know, I didn't know what I was doing a lot of the time. So um, I needed, I needed, I had a year, um, I had a year after. Um, a few years of working and being a teacher and stuff, I took some time off and went overseas and then kind of learnt some tunes and went, okay, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to play that sort of stuff. And yeah, so you you spent some time in Ireland. I did, yeah, and um, yeah, like so, I I went and did teachers' college and then went and taught for a while and I didn't like teaching and this classroom teaching, so I got out and then went and worked building guitars and left that, but. But they, they started playing in bands and and um, and then started playing the fiddle again. Started playing um, in some bush bands and and then met up with some crew in Melbourne again. Um, Peter Daffy, who was a, who's a great um, a, a great uh, sort of encourager, and he um, we had a band to go on there for a while and um, you know, and I learned some tunes in that band. So I was playing bass as well, a bit of bass, and then I'd pick up the fiddle and play a jig, and then, uh, and then I went, um, I want to go to the Willie Clancy Festival. So um, went over to that, and then it was, um, yeah, it got, it was, it was just great. It was just that moment where you go, oh, this is eat like, you know. Music's tricky, especially growing up in my house. You just could be doing it. You do Jimmy Buffett to, you know, Pat Metheny to bloody Bark to, you know, the Bay City Rollers, <laughs> Beatles, you know. So it was just really nice on the fiddle to go, okay, I'm going to focus on this style. Um, you know, come, you know, just, just going to learn lots of tunes and play lots of music <laughs> with people. And I... that's the thing. It's about playing with people and, Knowing the same tune and being able to play together, and you know. So how do you start? How do you start? Sort of uh, when you take that uh, step into thinking, okay, I'm going to really put my head into this and put my heart into it. Um, does a does a style for you then start to just sort of emerge organically, or are you conscious of things along the way where you think I want to I want to do this more, I want to do that more? Do you know what I mean? How do you kind of yeah. craft that? Yep. Voice for yourself. Yeah. Well, 
<clears throat> well, I was lucky because um, I had a couple of, um, you know, like I had two things I could do. One was was um, listening and being inspired by particular players. Um, the other thing was, um, you know, being able to read. And, um, you know, there was that Matt Cranich book, which was really fantastic, um, like fiddle playing book. Um, and, you know, what, he's what's got... What's that? It's uh, it's a book by Matt Cranich, mm-hmm. and it's called. Hang on a sec. It's called um, the Irish the Irish Fiddle Book, and it's an it's an orange book for those people who know it. There'll be people who know it. Uh, the Art of Traditional Fiddle Playing, and it's um. It's got it's got like um he's exploded or you know put under the microscope the things like rolls and cuts and. All those little kind of embellishments that you, you know, you'd listen to and go, what on earth's going on there? You know, God, and you'd try to do some imitation of it, but you kind of never sounds exactly right. But then this book was, um, you know, a really good exploded view of it. So isn't that, that's interesting. You know, the, the, um, the intricacies of ornamentation are something that um, has really, it's become really evident to me as I've, sort of reapproached Irish music I've kind of realized that you know quite often I can put my fingers on the holes in the right order but uh, mm. <laughs> when it comes to playing the whistle mm-hmm. but ornamentation is hard to pull off and that's what that's what makes something sound uh, like the real deal do you know what I mean like well mm. well articulated ornamentation <clears throat> yeah 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 um, sure does and and like I, I take my hat off to um, Especially on the fiddle, you know the the people who um, really uh, they you know they can ornament just about every note. You know, I, I'm not I'm not that um, I'm not that guy. You know, I sort of just play the tune pretty straight in some ways, and I've got I've got limits with what I can do. You know, with my fingers, I suppose, and you you kind of um, <clears throat> um, yeah, you just you. It, it's a it's a very it's a very tricky thing the the whole, the whole ornamentation actually. I was just teaching my daughter the roll tonight. In fact, can you um, demonstrate what a roll is, just in case anybody's listening who doesn't know what you're talking about there? Via the um, the Matt Cranich book uh, is that's your note. So you want to play an E. Uh, basically, um, you're going to play five notes, and you're going to go up from the E. Back to the E, and then down from the E to the D, and then back to the E. So there's five notes. So that's all it is. It's really easy. And then you. So it's that sort of thing. Um, and you know, there's fast rolls and slow rolls and like that thing. Holy crap! There's so much going yeah, on. There's a in lot there. going on. There's there's so much more going on in there than I would have thought. Shit! I, I thought I don't know if you know. Like I'm I'm playing fiddle about I don't know a wet week, and I I, I, I presumed it was like that was like a a phantom hammer on or something like that. I didn't realize there was so yeah. many <laughs> well, notes it is, in that. Well, oh, it is. A, there's, there's a cut, you know, the cut, which is... 
which is like a um, you know you're brushing. Oh, I always describe it as like brushing something off the string. You know what? Yeah. I think people go, when they start they go oh I cut so you got to put the third finger on first finger and you go. But if you just go on and off, it doesn't sound right. It's got to come from a height and come through and sort of push, brush, you know. Um, yeah, the, the, you know, like I, I'm happy with my first finger rolls. My second finger rolls are pretty bad and third fingers are almost non-existent, you know. So, um, and... <laughs> Um, there's that that Matt Cranich book has got this thing where you play so there's all exercises and stuff that you can kind of you know and that's just kind of repetition and developing that um, as Darren would say the muscle memory kind of thing that's right yeah so then and and I think um, yeah in, in, in terms of this kind of thing, I, I mean, you mentioned there about <clears throat> your feeling about your own limitations. Because, yeah, so I, I'm obviously, to me, I hear you're playing and I just think this is incredibly beautiful, elegant playing. Um, how do you come to terms with your own limitations that, that you hear that maybe other people don't? Um, <clears throat> well, I think I... I actually come to terms with it every day when you're teaching, right? So um, if you're teaching a kid and they can't play, you know, two notes, well, you know, you sort of go, well, come on, you gotta, you got you to gotta do all these stuff, you know. you either got to practice or you've got to have natural ability, but you've got to practice. You've got to do some work, you know, to play these two notes. Um, and, and, and I kind of then say, which... <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes it backfires. But basically, with music, it's always that. It's always going to be that. That there's a, um, you know, he's working on two notes or she's working on that little arpeggio or that thing. I'm working on, you know, trying to do a third finger roll properly. You know, in a in a tune. Um, there's, you know, and I think that, um, I think it's just. The coming to terms with it is that it'll just always be, um, you know, you're always working on something and that you probably might never be where you might want to be, except um, for me, it's it's when you're playing with other people, sometimes by yourself, but usually with other people, um, and you get that, you know, that... Uh, that um, kind of feel that feeling that is um that is above and beyond life in a sense where you just go this is this this is why i'm exist this is as happy as this bunch of cells can be right now on this planet planet so if you want to take zen or you know the mindfulness or being right in the moment you know, when you're, when, whatever it is, you know, it can be, it can be, it comes, it comes at very strange times too. It doesn't, it doesn't always happen when you think it's going to happen, but that's the moment that you go, yeah, that, that's, that's why I've, I've come to terms with this and it's the best bloody thing I've ever done, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> playing music. Yeah. 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 Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Completely. 
Um, and, uh, Completely. It, for me, musically, it makes sense mainly by its absence in my... <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no! You've got no, to you, seriously. I'm only striving. I'm, no, I'm, I'm pulling your leg. It's just, um, but it, it's true. You do get these glimpses of um, uh, where suddenly, even if it's just for a couple of a couple of phrases for me, you know, if I'm playing in a session, it'd be a couple of phrases where suddenly I feel like everything's in alignment. Mm. You know, the stars have lined yeah. up, the planets are oh, all where yeah, they're supposed yeah. to be. And I uh, thought about something else, and it still <laughs> happened. You know, or, yeah. That's yeah. It's um, a beautiful. It's it's an amazing. Um, it's yeah. The you best know, feeling. this is this is funny. Like uh, for for years, like when I've been driving, I, I would see. You know, when you see two car indicators that are out of phase, and they're both indicating to turn right or something, and then there's this moment where they just come into perfect phase and they're both blinking at exactly the same time, and then they're out again. It's like that. It's just this sort of in and out. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, you strive for a longer phase, you know, just yeah. a, a, a longer phase. Yeah. <laughs> there was a... Striving for a longer phase. There's my my tattoo. There's a... Um, <laughs> when I get one. There's a moment in... Like, I, I've, I've played, played a lot of duo stuff, you know, um, with the guitarist and singer-songwriters and do lots of that improvising and, and a bunch of tunes and then... You know, back to songs, but um, I reckon there's a moment. Um, if you can get, if you can, when you're playing and you, you um, we used to describe it as the tingly feeling. You know, like you'd listen to a song when you're growing up, or you go and see a band, like you go and see your favourite band. Like that moment when I walked over the hill at um the uh at the Maya Music Bowl and, and they were playing the fishing reels, you know. I had the tingly feeling all up my neck and it was just that moment, you know, where you go. And we all, everyone gets that feeling regardless of whether you play music or not. And and I reckon if you can get that feeling while you're playing, if you can do something and like I, I'm always looking for that particular feeling where you know, um, and that whatever that feeling is, I don't even know what it is, but that's that strong, you know, huge emotional response to the sound. I reckon if you can get that while you're playing, well, then someone in the audience is going to get it too, I think. And I reckon that that's, mm. um, you know, that's that's the thing about playing to five people, you know. You go, oh, geez, there's only no one here. No, God, what's the point? You, but geez, you can um, you can do a lot of damage on someone's tingly feeling in five minutes, you know, <laughs> with five people, <laughs> and it's worth it, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. So, th- so then going back to you know when we started this segment talking about listener crave, I'm wondering about how you go about oh, yeah. trying to capture that tingly feeling in a recording with someone. Because am I right in thinking that this is this was um, Paddy's first recording? Or like a f- official CD recording kind of thing. Well, judging by um, how he was feeling, like when they came and picked me up, I think here and Patty was um, yeah. So they came here and he was he was so toey, like he was as nervous, and <laughs> you know he was really out of his comfort zone. Um, and we took all that into 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 consideration with Patty um, and I, I love to stir him up a little bit too um, you know someone's got to be the bunny Patty you know you're you're it mate you know sorry but you know but he 
Um, but we we had a there's a um, a woman I know who's an amazing sort of supporter of, of um, traditional of, of folk music of the music scene in general in Melbourne, Barb Agar, and she's um she's got this um this beautiful room in her house and. I just knew that that would be a great spot. I recorded an album there a few years ago, and um, it's just this beautiful environment. And I thought, oh, once Patty gets there and we see what's going, when you know, it's really non. Um, yeah, it's just really easy to to get lost. You know, like you want to do when you're recording, you just want to get lost into the space and and just forget that there's anything pressed. And, and I reckon we got there on that album it's um it's coming out soon and it's it's just a beautiful thing but but judging by what his um family are saying they're very appreciative that you know he's been recorded because i don't think he's yeah as you say i don't think he's actually done anything seriously like that i think he's got lots of recordings but so yeah I... so that that was crowdfunded through a golf on me wasn't it yeah yeah is that still, that's still up and running for a bit? It is, yeah. It's. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast. We can always, you know. But um, it was one of those moments where um, sometimes you just go, you know what? I'm just going to do it. What could what could go wrong? You know, bugger it. <laughs> and so I just jumped on and just you know, like go fund me. Yeah, oh, that sounds all right. You know, looked at it um, with and and basically set it up and just press launch. Kind of, I haven't spoken to anyone from. The, I don't even know. I don't. I don't know how it's worked. However, we've got lots and lots of people have um, pre-ordered a CD um, in about two or three weeks or four weeks or so. I'll be spending. Me and the kids will be out here and we'll be putting CDs into bags and sending them <laughs> off to people. You know, but it's just been. It's just been. You know, I, I had no. Um, what I'm trying to say is that I, I just sort of did it on a kind of on a whim, um, the GoFundMe. I've, d- I've done one of those things sort of before, but this one was very... So, I I mean, the money went, is in an account and we can use it. So I, I was... Um, so it's all good, you know, and we're all good to go. But I, it's still up and running because I actually don't know how to get it down. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, leave it up. Leave, leave it up for her a few weeks because I'll be. We, we should, anyone that that knows any of you guys should go over there and and get the album because like anticipation's killing us. It's a. It, look, um, it, it's going to be a great look. Certainly in this ISO period of our lives, I've sat out here and I put the album on and I play to it and just play, It's a session. It's a session in a in your speakers. You know. Brilliant. I, I I don't know. I should have looked it up before I got on the phone with you, but I'm sure I know it's on GoFundMe. And yeah, it is. I'm yeah. sure if you look for Paddy Fitzgerald, or listen yeah, to yeah, or, look up Paddy we'll Fitz, the, um, look up Paddy Fitzgerald, um, and it'll be up there. Yeah, and, and for our know, listeners, it'll be in the show notes. Have a look at the um, the description of this podcast, and the link will be in there too. Great. Yeah. No, it's it's gonna be it's it'll be great. That it's it's a ripper of an album. And there's a couple of little surprises on there. Or there's one great surprise on there that I'm not going to mention anything. No spoilers. <laughs> uh, why don't I do a tune that P- Patty and I did in that Exile thing? Um, yeah, fantastic. Uh, now, how does it go? Oh, yeah, here we go.
Christoph, uh, what was that? What was that called? That's called. Uh, well, I've I've seen it as the Australian Waters. Right. Tommy Peoples played it um, on an album, and and he's got it written down as Australian Waters, but it might might have have another name. But um, we'll go with Australian Waters. Well, so then I wanted to ask you about so so um, we've got so much that we haven't even touched on yet, so we'll have to have you back on and <laughs> maybe we can do the next one face to face. But I, I really want to talk about your album because because um, the inch before the saw is the name of the album. That's the one. What a great name. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's the the uh, the Sean Tyrrell. Um, well, Sean Tyrrell um, song that he. Oh, gee whiz! This been a long time, but yeah, it's a great lyric that one. Um, basically, I think, you know, the the whole idea of, um, you know, you only need to worry about what's right immediately in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> and as the Sawyers said, you know, like when they're soaring up. You know, don't worry about what's for dinner tonight. Just worry about the inch before the saw, mate, because you yeah. you might lose a finger, you know. I'm going to have to do I didn't know that was a song lyric. It's such a great... Yeah, it's, a, be- it's, it's a beautiful yeah. notion. Yeah, it's a great old song. It's uh... it's kind of interesting to me, like we were t- talking there about, about Paddy Fitzgerald being recorded um, for the first time. Uh, and um, this is your first album after decades of playing with lots of other people. So, so what what gave you that push to sort yeah. of think I'm, you know, I want to get these collaborators done because there's a lot of collaborators on it with you, people who you've played with over the years. Yeah, um, uh, it was it was a conversation of um, with Luke Plum, uh, who um, mentioned to me just where well, I was, we'll drive somewhere, and he said, um. Oh, do you know anyone who, who's got a little project they need recording? I've got a, a real gun engineer coming over from Scotland next year. And I went, and it was a bit like that GoFundMe thing, I went, yeah, I think I, I might. And he goes, oh, yeah? And I said, yeah, I, I want to do an album. And it was sort of almost like, um, here's an opportunity to throw yourself in and then make something up, make it work. Um, um, but I'd... I'd been sort of tossing around the idea of doing a tune album and then, uh, look, I've played with lots of, as I was saying, lots of duos, lots of bands, um, um, you know, for a long time. And and, um, and I realised with, with um, you know, I, I did realise that uh, when I was putting it together that I hadn't, unfortunately, I hadn't been in any of the bands with um, any, any of the female guitar players, you know, <laughs> like it was really funny i i um someone said oh where's all where's the where are the females presence in this album and i'm going i don't know i haven't played in any bands with any but anyway that was um that was a side uh the um yeah so i just i went with with the idea of let's let's pick the 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 tune that makes me um you know like when you when you see someone at a session and they're playing the guitar what is the tune that you love to play with that person? You know, there's right. usually something. There's, there's, there's a. Um, I think that's the mark of a of a of a great. You know, like Tom. Um, yeah, like um, Paddy Fitzgerald. He, he's uh, working so hard when he's running that session. You know, he's 
he's seeing who's coming in the door and he's thinking, oh, okay, they, they'll, they'll need a song. That This person, they love to play that tune, you know, like, and they're, they're scoping the room um, and create, and, you know, and sort of manipulating what, what the set list is going to be. Similar sort of thing, I suppose, when you when you think about people over the years that you've played with and um, what what music really gets that you know that, that tingly feeling we spoke about um, you know what's what are the tunes that really mark that that time or period in time. Mm-hmm. So that was how the album came to be. It was it was um, was it fun to was it fun to record it? It was great fun. It, it was. It was more fun for the guitarists than it was for me. Let's just put it that way, because of course that was what I didn't realize. I, you know, we had this beautiful house, and there was like a bar. They were cooking a barbie. There's a pool, you know. There's all this food and beer and stuff, and this amazing, you know, this this guy um, out from the out from um, Scotland, uh, Malcolm, was um, was uh, doing the, doing the recording, and um, my God. I was just for eight hours a day. I'm just up there, just soaring away on the fiddle, <laughs> and these guys down there coming up for one tune, you know, or or one set, and then going back down, and going, oh, thanks for that, and off they go. <laughs> I'm like, oh, jeez, uh-huh. that wrong. But no, it was great fun to do, um, and you know, we we did something. It was it was good. Yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful album. Oh, great, thanks. Yeah, I, the, there's a thing like I. Um, I kind of, you know, you wouldn't believe it after hearing me talk all night, but I, in performance, I don't, I, I, I sort of shy away from the line. Like, I don't like being the the guy, you know. Mm-hmm. I like to be sort of second or, you know, just, just backing or... Um, and so it was quite tricky to, to do the... You know, we did a huge CD launch at Port Ferry and, and that was really hard. And, and it was kind of funny how the CDs actually... Um, in a sense, the way I was able to kind of in my mind was able to deal with it was that um, this was for me, it was just like this um, a look at different backing styles and different guitarists. So the CD is actually about the guitarists and not the fiddle, you know. So um, it's funny, I, I got that, I got that listening to it. I great, yeah. and, and that was actually something that I wasn't because I'm not, I'm not. I still don't think I'm versed enough in listening to be given my takes. But when I was listening to it today, in fact, I could hear that, and I was thinking, "Geez, I, I, like I, that's not something I would express to obviously the fiddle player." But I'm so glad you said that because it's something I completely picked up from it. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Like it, it's it's actually um, it's fantastic. You get Tommy Carty playing that tune. You know, like that particular. There was a tune in there. This sort of um, Greek thing. You know that we that. That I, I heard from somewhere and and started bring brought it down to a session somewhere, and Tommy Carty just you know every single time I'd see him he'd go play that tune come on play it because he'd trying to work on the chords you know and and so of course that was the one that Tommy had to do and um, uh-huh. and when yeah, you said that awesome. when you said that you when you were launching it at, at Port Ferry that that was hard what what was hard about it was it just the fact that it was your it's your baby, and you're the front guy. Yeah, you know that that whole that whole thing of you know being being in, you know being the 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 um, the main focus. You know, it's what Patty, I think, um, I think that's why I can, I sort of totally get what Patty's. You know, he's going, oh, Ewan, you know, Ewan, 
oh, the CD cover, like, it, there's no, you guys aren't on it. I'm giving you a clue here, but and I'm going, no, Patty, no, of course we're not on it. You're on it because you're, you're the one, mate. You know, and he's going, no, and I'm going, yes, you are. You know, you've just, you know, we need, some mug's got to do it and you're going to do it. You know, and he's going, oh, no. Going, no, no, you're right, Patty. It's you just got to accept it, you know. So it's just sort of that thing. It's, um, you know, I suppose it's, yeah, look, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself and had great people around me and, you know, it was awesome. Um, so a, a yeah. couple of last things then. Um, when you think about that and you and you look back on it, I mean, because um, I'm sure Darren and me are both familiar with the feeling of, you know, you finish a project and, and the only thing that you can see in it are the imperfections. Are you able to... Um, are you able to appreciate it as a as a body of work? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like time. It it's um. Uh, yeah, sure. I I I do. Like I did a lot of work. Like it was a huge amount of work. I did heaps of um. You know, like really got those tunes up to as you know best as I could do, and though and um. Uh, it kind of. It was a it was a huge success, you know. It, it actually actually covered my cost, which is amazing, um, and had a lot of fun. And I've got you know still got it, still got a, still got a few hundred copies actually. Um, but also I, I'm wrapped with the, the little. There's a little book that goes with it too, where it wrote out all the tunes and um, you know. So there's a it's I I partly I used it for teaching as well, so that. You know, I thought, oh, this is the next five. Um, oh, this is the next five or ten um, lake schools. You know, I've got I've got material to teach the next yeah. five or ten lake schools. Yeah, well, it, there is something about. I, I just wanted to say before we finish that, like, um, as regular listeners to this podcast will know, one of the things that myself and Darren have often talked about since we started this was the the idea that that music. Um, um, can often be this memory machine that takes you back to the people who you were playing with at that time. You know what I mean? Yeah, and this is yeah. a very sort of literal representation of that, and it's it's really great. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It 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 is. It's um. It was you know like with the tune album, it's tricky, isn't it? Because you how do you um how do you decide what to do? You know, like there's so much music and um and yeah so it was it was really great it, it actually was a really um made it very it made it very easy in fact you know and there were a couple of there were a couple of tracks that didn't get on there guys which um but mum and dad came i got mum and dad in on it see oh and, really um, yeah mum's so i've got some i've got the <laughs> But mum, I I did a recording with mum playing the um that merrily kissed song. Mm-hmm. She's playing it on the piano. She didn't do any homework, and um, so we got into the studio and uh, oh, we, you know, we got to the recording and she was going, oh, what are the chords again? And I said, well, I, you know, didn't I send it? You know, she goes, oh, I, I thought I knew them, and so she was panicking at the last minute. And and dad, we did that Brian Baru um, march. And Dad, I've got this couple of versions here, and it's hilarious. Dad's done this kind of thing where he's, um, you know, turned it into this kind of um, incredibly complicated jazz 
cord. <laughs> you know, like it is. It's hilarious. They didn't. They both didn't make the cut for the CD, which was. You know, it, it was a tough call, a very tough call to. Um, <laughs> the, someone said at the last minute, "Look, you know, I just don't think they." You know, like, but I'm wrapped that I I recorded them, but they'll they'll I'm gonna have to put out an EP or something at some point. <laughs> well, if you if you want to share them with share them with us, we'd be happy to we'd be happy to put them out for you. Oh yeah, the 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 merrily kiss is great. Mum's just banging away, you know, just. Just you know, you can just imagine her. Just um, there's a great photo that Kate took of um, Mum's just the close up on her hands and these you know gnarly, you know she's got she's these gnarly knuckled hands you know from oh she's been playing now for seventy years you know still plays pipe organ and stuff you know <laughs> but Dad's one is hilarious <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll have to flick you a copy oh, I'd love to hear it yeah yeah. Mm. Um, Darren, do you have anything else that you'd like to ask? I mean, I just... I've um, got loads, but I'm very conscious of, of the time. So I, I just want to say thank you so much. I know it's been a while coming. I'm so glad we got to, to actually sit down and do it. So thank you so much for your time tonight, man. Uh, it's a total total pleasure. Pity it wasn't in the flesh. It would have been nice to... Um, Round you know, two. All, yeah, yeah. It's all been a bit... Um, I've been very sick of playing music over computers and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, imagine you're doing it for your work as well, right? I am, yeah. It's just doing my head in. <laughs> but anyway, we're, we'll get there. We're, you know, we've got a job. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, it's could be, you know, it's going to be great when we all get back together and start, you know, making music again. Yeah, I, I really look forward to to meeting you in person and getting a paint. Yeah, like, likewise, and just um, yeah, we'll have a jar and all that sort of stuff. Aye. Um, would you fancy giving us one more tune? Oh, I'd love to. Um, do you want a? Um, <clears throat> oh, what about a little? Do you want a, an original tune? Yeah, I'll give you this original one. This is a. I'm playing in this um, trio called Play at Martha with uh, Pat Evans and Cora Brown. And, uh, she's written a song. Cora's written this lovely song about. It's called Mama's Song. And um, there's a bit in it where they, oh, they needed it, something, so so we did this. So there's a little tune called Mum, Mama's Real. Yeah, how's it going? Oh, i just got to get the start of that.
There you go. Ewan Baker, that was great. <laughs> Good crack. I've been I've been so enjoying um, doing these things remotely, even though they're you know you do lose something with not being in the same room, right? Yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't be the most social of characters, and I am actually missing being in the same room for these. I th- and I think it's this it's the things it's the things like well the stuff between you and I because we've over it's almost a year's worth of this language that we've developed that I know what you're thinking out of the peripheral of my eye. I know what a hand move will mean. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just thought that was, I, I thought that was a lot of fun and it was just really, um, uh, it just felt very, very comfortable. So, And fantastic, fantastic player. I just, I, I love those kind of players that just rip it out. Yeah, do not let that CD, uh, UN CD pass you by. Absolutely. The inch before the saw, because it's, it's a cracker. Yeah, it's on his, um, you can buy it for, directly from his website. I was on there and youandbaker.com.au uh, on there. His uh, The CD is, is for sale on there, so you can grab it from there. And then I, I wish I knew the, uh, as I said during the interview, I wish I knew the, the link for the GoFundMe, GoFundMe for Paddy CD, the Listener Cree one. It's Paddy Fitzgerald and Listener Creeve. Um, Listener Creeve is L-I-S-N-A-C-R-I-E-V-E. So if you if you look up Paddy Fitzgerald and Listener Creeve, you'll find the link to the site, the GoFundMe site, where they're still looking for some further funding for it, but they're almost reached their goal. So. Yeah. Um, I will have all of that in the show notes for anyone that just wants to click through as well. Um, final, lastly, but not leastly, um, thank you so much for, um, actually, I don't know if we had any new subs during the week, but thank you for all the people that have continued to support us during um during the the last year and particularly during the hard times over the last few weeks we absolutely appreciate it and as i as i say it it's the thing that makes this project continue it means we can plan and we know that there's there's money in the kitty each week to look after all the expenses that need to be taken care of um as we will say and keep saying is it's always going to be free to listen to but unfortunately it takes a, a lot of man hours to make this thing and it costs a lot of money to to keep it up and running as well so we really appreciate anyone that has uh, gone over there and picked a tier that suits them and and chips in a few dollars for that if you think this week is your week for doing that then by all means please head over to patreon.com forward slash balarney pilgrims so thank you and thanks to ewan baker legend thanks mate really enjoyed that and um i think that's it from us we'll see you next week Catch you next week. Bye. Hi, my name is Pietro. Please become a good subscriber to the podcast. Thank you.